All right, good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Doing all right? You guys are looking sharp, sharper than usual. I don't know what that means, but you can figure it out later. Uh, some of you know me and some of you don't, uh, maybe. So I want to kind of give you a little uh, idea of who I am. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been here for 10 years. Uh, my wife and I are going on our 12th year of being married in October. And uh, we have one son. His name is Cohen, and he is a super awesome guy. I love being a dad to him. And um, he's going to be five in September. And we're just, we love being parents. Um, one of the things that is really cool is we get to see his personality kind of come out. And um, right now, his favorite food is mac and cheese. So um, some of you can appreciate that because that you, that your favorite food is still mac and cheese, which you need to grow up, but that's okay. You're living the life of a five-year-old. Um, but So he loves mac and cheese, and, um, and his favorite word um, right now is but. Now, I don't, not to offend you, but that's, he says but. All, he'll add the word but to an end of a sentence. Hey, Dad, can you help me blow up this balloon? But. I'm like, you're hanging out with your mother too long. Seriously. I mean, that must be where that's coming from. But... Um, While you're getting to know me, I do have a secret. I have a secret that not a lot of people know about, um, and I want to kind of share it with you, and so you can kind of get a little insider knowledge on my life. Um, When I can't sleep, I know many people do lots of different things when they can't sleep. When I can't sleep, I tend to go onto YouTube, and I will watch endless videos of America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, um, China's Got Talent, Ethiopia's Got... If it's got talent, it's on, it's on YouTube, I'll watch it. Um, now, that, that may not sound like that big of a deal. Like, why is that a big secret? But you, until you realize that I actually search out specific types of YouTube videos of America's Got Talent, um, even if it's The Voice, I mean, it doesn't matter, X Factor, American Idol, it doesn't matter. I will seek out specific types of, pro, of episodes, um, and those types of episodes that I intentionally seek out are those that are going to make me cry. I don't know why. I have no idea, but I love watching those sob story episodes of the kid that never should have made it, that person that when they get on the stage and you're like, what, what are they going to do? And then all of a sudden they blow you away and you're like, <laughs> it was beautiful. And then, and then if, you're, if you're accustomed to YouTube, when you're watching one video on the right hand side of the screen are a whole bunch of other videos just like it. So as I'm crying, I'm like, I want to watch another one. Ooh. And then I stop crying for a minute. And then, because they always show the backstory. You know, the, they've been, I remember watching one from a China's Got Talent where um, the kid was homeless all the way up until he got to the show. And he was homeless as he was on the show. And all the judges are crying as he's singing beautiful voice, this young 15-year-old kid who had been homeless almost his whole life since he was four years old. He was homeless since he was four years old. And, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like going to wake up, Carrie. I'm like putting the pillow on my face so no one wakes up in the house. But I don't know why I do that, but I do it one, at one, two o'clock. So whatever you do at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, text me and just say, Mike, it's okay. It's beautiful. Just text me and tell me it's going to be okay because I'm probably crying. But um, I want to kind of give you a glimpse. So when I watch co- these kind of videos, um, they're videos kind of like this. We love it here in Austin. This is fun, isn't it? It's really fun. Waiting for that big talent, big talent. Hey, Chris Angel, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> What's your name, man? Andrew. Andrew, what are you gonna do for us today? I'm gonna sing. You're gonna sing. Growing up, I was a huge fan of Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie and all these different rock stars. 
it really became an escape for someone like me, who felt that I was an outsider. Growing up, I was alienated because I was never interested in athletics or, or what everybody else in my family was interested in. Singing was always an escape. It was always a comfort zone. Why are you so nervous? This is my first time singing in front of anybody. Really? Yes. You never sang in front of anyone before? Anybody. Hey, well, I'm rooting for you. Being on America's Got Talent, it's a huge step for someone like me who's never sang in public before, never sang in front of even my family. I think my days of being shy and being an outcast have reached their end, and I'd like to be able to really show what I can do. Give them what you got, man. All right? I'm with you. Wow! You go now. You're okay. It's going to be all right. Rough day at the office. <laughs> I know the feeling. What's your name? My name is Andrew DeLeon. Andrew, you've got an unusual look, but is this how you walk around all day? Yes. Kind of a goth look you would describe this as? Uh, yes. I, I assume you're a singer? Yes. Well, listen, why don't you do your thing? Okay. Good luck. Thank you. What's going through your mind? Can you share it with us? Um, I'm just so used to being rejected, and I'm not really good at anything, so this is amazing. Feels good. And you know, I, I sensed right before you sang, you were feeling very nervous. You ever perform in front of a big crowd like this? I've never performed in front of anybody. No kidding. This is your first time. I mean, literally, did, did, you must have taken voice training or, or something. No? Not at all. Self-taught. And, and you would practice this, what, in your room? And yet you got up here and blew the roof off the joint. Good for you. Thank you. 
Andrew. Andrew, what do your parents think of you, of your voice? Um, they've never heard me sing either. Are they, they here? Haven't? They are here. Where are they? They're right up there. be so proud of you and please don't say that you're not good at anything because you've got an amazing voice and you are an individual you know you've been hiding in your room all these years but you never you never let the world see who you are or what you are and it's not that you're good at anything you are great be the first one to vote yes. Big time. Yeah, Andrew, I'm definitely in love with you now. And I'd say yes. Howie? Mom, Dad, how proud are you of your son? Very proud. Very proud. Well, you know something? We all love your boy now. That's three yeses. You're going to Vegas. Thank you. All right. So that's what I do. So that's what I'm watching at 2 o'clock in the morning. Andrew DeLeon singing opera. Now, it, let's admit, when you first saw that guy, did you think that that was going to come out of his mouth? No way. He's got the rocker look. They're playing Ozzy Osbourne in the background when they're introducing him. Um, he, you know, the people that he finds as his, the people he's trying to be like are rockers. And then he gets up and he sings and boom. And you can tell that when he gets up there, he's taking a risk. Because like he said, the only thing I've ever experienced is rejection. The only thing I've ever experienced in life is rejection. And here he is in front of all those people, and he's letting them have at it that he could either be accepted or rejected. So he took a giant risk. Uh, now, I've seen that video a, a dozen times. I'd probably watch it. You know, there's one of my go-to cry videos, and it still messes with me. Something remar- now, here's the deal. Something remarkable happens when we watch a video like that. It, it allows us to get a peek into who we really are and how much we really do judge by the outside. It really does give us a glimpse at how judgmental we can actually be um, it, 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 if we're really honest with ourselves. Second, it provides us with the hope that, there's, that we can be different. Because when we see that and we see who he is and we, see, we allow ourselves to really become honest with ourselves, we will realize that that shouldn't have been, that we should never have thought that in the first place. And the only reason why we were so caught up in it, and the only reason why it messed with us so much is because it shot in our face our own judgment, our own ability to judge um, you know, unreasonably. And so that entire audience, including the judges, were blown away by that dude's voice. Without a doubt, it was incredible. Um, but, it, you know, it's not the voice that stuns us. It's the story. It's the story behind it. And that's what we're going to kind of look at. We're going to come back to Andrew in a little bit. But as we've been working through our series, we've, we've learned that God is above all. We've learned that he both convicts and comforts us through the Holy Spirit. We've learned that he is love. We've learned that he keeps his promises. We've learned that he is good and everything he does is good, regardless if we think it's good or not, that he determines what's good and everything he does is good. So today, 
today, we're going to look at how God is compassionate. Um, even if you haven't been involved in church for a whole long time, uh, it's likely that you've heard of the story of Jonah. It's likely that you know a little bit about the story. It's most famous for the idea that Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish um, and often described as a whale, although the Bible doesn't specifically say what type of fish it was, and he survived. Now, it might seem kind of crazy that someone, it may be extravagant, that it could even be a legitimate claim that someone could live inside of the belly of a fish for three days and come out um, alive on the other side, but it really did happen. It's not um, a myth. It's not a fable. It's actual world history that actually happened on our planet and that God ordained and God had control of. So the book of Jonah is actually discovered. The idea that the main point of Jonah is actually discovered in the final chapter. So chapters one, two, and three are kind of leading us into this final chapter where we get a glimpse of what Jonah is actually about. So I want to give you the cliff notes to get us caught up to where we're going to settle on this morning. So chapter one, God calls Jonah to preach to the people of a place called Nineveh. Jonah basically says no thanks and jumps on a boat going the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish. Uh, God causes a storm. The sailors throw Jonah into the sea and the storm stops. Then God causes a giant fish to swallow Jonah whole. And then chapter two. Chapter two is basically a giant prayer. Chapter two is Jonah prays in the fish for God to save him. I guess if any of us were really swallowed by a fish, the first thing we'd probably do is pray. I mean, what else are you going to do? So he's praying in the belly of the fish, and then God causes, at the end of chapter 2, God causes the fish to spit Jonah out. So chapter 3, then starting all over again, God, now that he's got his attention, God calls Jonah again to preach to those in Nineveh. This time, Jonah obeys God and goes to Nineveh. Jonah tells the Ninevites, God has judged you. You will be destroyed in 40 days. The people believe Jonah, and they repent of their wickedness. The king of Nineveh orders everyone to stop their wickedness and pray to this God that Jonah introduces them to. And then God relents his judgment and forgives the, 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 the Ninevites. Can you believe that? Now, how cool is that? Jonah is probably super excited about what just happened. I mean, think about it. He originally ran away for reasons we'll soon discover. But in the end, he sees an entire city repent, come to God for the forgiveness of their sins. Even the king repented. Even the master, the ruler of the city, repented and made a decree, a law of the land that everyone must obey. And it said that they must repent and give their lives to this God that Jonah introduces them to. For a missionary, which Jonah was, Jonah was sent by God to another place to preach the message of salvation. And he was a missionary to the place of Nineveh. So as a missionary, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. The entire city responds to your message. Jonah must be elated. Jonah must be so pumped about, he must just be sitting back going, God, you are amazing. I would never have guessed this would have happened. I mean, this would be like me, this would be like God calling me to tops after the service today. And, and I walk the aisles or I grab the, the you know, the, the intercom over the, over the whole store and I'm like, attention, top shoppers and staff. God has judged you and you will be destroyed in 40 days. Have a great day. Click. And then, every, and then I sit back and everybody across the whole store, they all look at each other and somehow they all get to their knees and they're bowing and they're crying out to God and they're repenting of their sin. And then the, the supervisor, the store manager gets on the intercom and he says, I'm declaring a new, a new procedure for TAPS today that all personnel must obey this God that whoever this guy is just told us about. 
Can you believe that? That would be, that's, that's kind of the situation we're going through right here in a, in, to a certain degree. This is what Jonah experienced as he preached to an entire city. So then we get to chapter 4, and we get to see just how excited Jonah is. This is where we're going to pick up the story. So Jonah 4.1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. What? What? Jonah, are you okay? The whole city just repented. The whole city just decided to listen to you. You were successful in your mission. God called you to do something, and then he made it happen through you. What's the deal, bro? Why are you so upset? Don't you understand that this was a good thing? You were successful in your mission to preach to the Israelites. I keep saying the Israelites because that's what I have in my brain. To the Ninevites. But the next verse actually tells us what this is all about. Jonah 4, 2 through 3. So Jonah, so he complained to the Lord about it. He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And what did he predict? That they will be destroyed in 40 days. He would rather be dead than them be alive. Jonah, why all the hate, man? (laughs) What's going on? Let me paint the picture in in case you're not quite sure what's going on. Jonah wanted these people in hell. Jonah did not want them to experience the gracious compassion of God. He even says it right there in the verse. I know who you are, God. I know how you are. And I knew that if I went there, there was going to be this little chance that this wicked people would turn from their ways and they'd follow you. And I didn't want even, I didn't even want to give them a chance to do it. I didn't even want to supply the opportunity for them to get to a place where they could follow you. I wanted them to live in their ignorance so that when they die, they go to hell. This is what Jonah was hoping for. And when it didn't happen, he became very angry. Very angry. How could someone hate an entire city? One that seemingly he had never even visited before. Doesn't know any of them personally. What could be the deal? Well, Nineveh, this might help you understand this. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. In Jonah's time, the Assyrians had made a reputation for themselves. When kings went to battle to expand the empire, they would torture their prisoners of war horrendously. They celebrated their cruelty. They would actually throw parties for how cruel they were. They would try to outdo each other in their cruelty. And they would tell each other all about it. I did this and I did that. Oh yeah, well, I did this. And they would write about it and do works of art about it. Archaeologists have uncovered many large stone panels from this time that show grisly post-battle scenes. These, quote, works of art were put up in the king's palace. Also also detailed written descriptions of post-battle tortures were inscribed into the pillars of their palace. One historian said, it is as gory and blood-curdling as history as we know. One of the cruelest was a king of the name Asher Nisipul, and he reigned from uh, 883 to 859 BC. He wrote, for example, his own words that we have discovered through archaeology, his words. 
I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile of corpses. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built with them a tower before the city. I burned their adolescent boys and girls. I captured many troops alive. I cut off their arms. I cut off their hands. I cut off others. I cut off of others their noses, their ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one of their heads. I hung their heads around trees in the city. Those are the Ninevites. Think ISIS times a million. Those are the Ninevites. Maybe we're getting a picture of exactly why Jonah didn't want to go. Maybe we're going to start seeing exactly what was on Jonah's mind. These were the people that Jonah was called to preach to. In Jonah's day, they were breathing down the necks of his people threatening to invade their land, always threatening to invade. And they knew that if they invaded, what was in store for them? This was not going to be a peacemaking environment. They were not going to negotiate terms. They were coming to destroy and torture and maim. That's just who they were. No wonder Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Not just because it was probably something that was risky to his life. He was risking his life to go there in the first place. And with the message that he's going to say. I mean, these people have never relented to anybody ever. All they do is kill and destroy and hurt and torture. And here comes one guy. And he's going to tell them they're wrong. I don't know about you, but that's risking your life. But that's not it. In his opinion, they deserved to pay. They of all people deserve strict and ultimate justice. Through his complaint to God, it would seem that Jonah would rather die then live in a world where people like the Ninevites get to go free. He would rather die than live in a world where Ninevites get to go free. That's Jonah. Now we need to see something here because often one of the most unfortunate things about the book of Jonah is that everyone thinks it's about Jonah. It's not about Jonah. It's not about not being the Jonah that disobeyed. It's not about being the Jonah that obeyed. It's not about either one of those things. It's actually not about Jonah at all. It simply uses the life of Jonah to contrast and compare it to the life of God, who God is. Their two characters are seen side by side, hateful, judgmental, uncaring, compassionate, merciful, unfailing love. Don't be like this guy. That's what we say. Don't be like this guy that disobeyed. Be like the Jonah that obeyed. No, 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 no. Come to the one. Come to the one that Jonah followed. Come to the one that, that was called by Jonah. Unfortunately, we look at Jonah when we should be looking at God. And the life, disobedience, and failure of Jonah reveals the Lord's compassion for lost people. For lost people. Look at his compassion for lost people. Those people are torturing his creation, his children, his other people. They're torturing them. And yet he still has unfailing love. I don't know about you that this should blow us away. This should mess us up a little bit. And I, I think that somehow we've, we've, we've allowed ourselves, unfortunately, the privilege of removing the attitude of the Ninevites from our hearts, believing that we're not like that. But I would say that many times we are. I would say many times we are. Um, so it compares the life, his life of disobedience to the life of obedience. And today we can look at that in Christ. 
This is exactly what the book of Jonah is all about. Right there in Jonah 4.2, it's about God's loving kindness, mercy, unfailing love, and compassion. And Jonah knew God's character. The book of Jonah is about how eager God is. Let me, and I want to really paint this picture, how eager God is to turn his back from destroying sinful people to forgiving them. He is eager to turn away from that. He wants to turn away from that. He does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to salvation. Even murderous, skin-flaying people who torture for fun, hang people's heads around their cities, and then throw parties celebrating their cruelty. Even them, even me, even you. Now remember our boy Andrew from America's Got Talent? The reason that story evokes tears for me is because I'm a sucker for an underdog story. I love when our biases are thrown in our faces and we get a glimpse at just how judgmental we truly are. It really does help me see Jesus. Those moments when I see that, I see Jesus. I see underdog stories all over the place. I see Jesus coming through for the underdog all the time. I was the underdog. You were the underdog. We are all underdogs who are never supposed to make it, never supposed to be forgiven, never supposed to be given a chance to get out of our sinful state, but because of the loving kindness and mercy of our God, we get a chance to. We were the underdogs. And we win, but not because of a talent that we have, because of the grace and mercy and compassion that Jesus used to sacrifice himself on our behalf. That's how we get out of trouble. That is how we get out of our sin. That is how we are forgiven. We see Andrew as someone who has been hurt by the world getting his chance to shine. Hidden in that dark frame was a remarkable voice. Hidden in our dark world. Hidden in our dark world, is a remarkable God. A remarkable God. The question is, what about those that dish out the hurt? See, we always look at Andrew and we say, wow, Andrew didn't have a chance. Andrew was this poor guy. Andrew didn't have a chance. Andrew was rejected and rejected and hurt and hurt. What about the people that hurt him? What about the people that tortured him? What about the people that rejected him. You see, there's no Andrews in Nineveh. Nineveh is filled with people who mocked Andrew. It's filled with the, his adversaries, enemies to the millionth degree. Instead of stopping at mocking, they tortured and beheaded people they didn't like. If I were honest with you this morning, my past is more like the Ninevites than it's like Andrews. Minus the cutting off of heads, skinning people alive and, and the like. But my heart, my heart was way more like the Ninevites than Andrew. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I never read the Bible for myself until I was in my 20s after I gave my life to Jesus. Prior to that, I didn't go to church. I didn't pray. I didn't love people one bit. In fact, I treated people pretty horribly. Not Ninevite horrible, but still, I was a pretty big jerk. When I dated girls, all I wanted was a physical sexual relationship. I would do and say anything I, want, I needed to to get that. I stole things. I would constantly lie to hide things from people. I didn't care who I was, but I did care what people thought about me. So I did whatever it took to protect my reputation. So when I was around one group of people, I would act one way. When I was around another group of people, I would act another way. That was just who I was. However, underneath that funny, sarcastic personality was a complete and utter jerk. The most beautiful theme in the book of Jonah is that there's room for God's kingdom for people like me. Not just the hurting, but the hurtful. Not just the harmed, but the harming. Not just the mocked, but the mockers. Not just the slandered, but the slanderers. Not just those that are cheated on, but those that do the cheating. That's the most beautiful thing. 
I, was some, I wasn't some, some kid that was bullied, mocked, and driven to seclusion, soaked in the pain of questioning my value. No, no, no. I was the bully, and I was the mocker. I was the guy making people feel like junk because I thought I was cool, and I wanted other people not to feel like that. I, want, I used whatever I needed to do to make myself feel good, and oftentimes that came at the expense of others. Until Jesus revealed himself to me in one glorious moment, it was that moment that I realized I was rotten to the core while simultaneously realizing I was loved beyond reason. Now, I'm going to keep it real for a second. Some of you in this room are the Ninevites of your community. Some of you are the Ninevites of our workplace, of your workplace. Some of us are the Ninevites of our homes. Some of us are the Ninevites of our church. We don't even realize how hurtful we are sometimes. We don't even realize the damage that we're making. But behind us is this wake of hurtful, painful feelings that we've, that we've somehow caused, whatever the reasons are, whatever they come from, whatever they, they, somehow we've justified it. I'm sure the Ninevites justified it. Then they came face to face with the living God and they couldn't justify it anymore. However, I want you to know that the same God that heals the hearts of your victims when they come to him for repentance calls to you as well. The same God that heals those that we hurt calls us to repent to him. God is not just a God for the hurting. He's a God for the hurtful. He's a God for all mankind for all of us. He wants you to wave the white flag of surrender and say, I give up, God. I give up trying to make myself look so good in front of other people. I give up control. I give up trying to make me so good in front of other people, even at their expense. The question is, will you respond to his call for surrender? My son, Cohen, he has a a children's Bible, which if you have a kid, Uh, I highly recommend this Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every single story relates that story to to, to Jesus. So instead of trying to be like the people of the scriptures, it's drawing us to come to the Savior that that they know. And it says over and over and over again, almost every single story, somewhere in the story, it, this phrase about God's love is put. It says, God's love, God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Let me repeat that. A never stopping, a never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's God. That, my friends, is stunning. I love knowing that when my son reads that Bible and hears those stories, that he isn't duped into trying to be like the people in the story, but he's blown away by Jesus, that he sees Jesus in that story. I've hurt people horribly. God loves me. I've mocked people continually. God loves me. I've hated people deeply. God loves me. Now let me be clear. God does not approve of my behavior. And he doesn't take it lightly. But he does want to forgive me of it. And he wants to set me free from the consequences. Then he wants to take my new heart, my new life, and use them to transform others. He doesn't want me to sit 
in a pool of despair once I realize how sinful I actually am. He wants me to get out of that and realize how glorious and good God is, that I can actually rise up out of those ashes. I can get up out of that despair and I can look at the Savior who came to me and saved me and I can now walk fresh and anew in him. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus came, to take the punishment you and I deserve because ultimately we've sinned against God. While we may have hurt other people, we've ultimately sinned against God. Second Peter says this in 3, nine. Second Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, which is to come back, to come back for us, the Lord coming back, the second coming. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Jonah despised God for forgiving people. Can you, Jonah despised God for forgiving people. What Jonah forgot was that he was no better than the Ninevites. In the end, God puts Jonah in his place. Look at Jonah 4. We're going to close with this. Jonah 4, 10 through 11. It says, then Jonah said, you feel, see, the, the story in, in, in chapter 4, God uh, makes a plant grow to hide him from the heat because it was a blistering heat. So he builds it, he makes this plant grow for Jonah. Then Jonah finds shade under the plant. And then God takes the plant away to prove to, to, to Jonah that he's just this selfish, self-serving person to put, to put in his face that he's really not um, as good as he thinks he is. So he says, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, what is wrong with you? Why wouldn't I have compassion on them just like I have for you? What has gone on in your life that has removed from you the gracious care that I've given you to make you think for even a moment that you should look at those Ninevites any differently than how I tell you to look at them. There it is, God's compassion on display. If you ever question God's goodness and care and compassion for you, come to this story. And most likely you can say, I'm not as bad as the Israelites. So if God had compassion for those people, he definitely always has compassion for me. And if someday we find people more gruesome, more cruel than those Ninevites, guess what? He'll love them too. Every human being on the face of the planet is eligible for forgiveness because of the great sacrifice of Jesus, not because they become better people. He didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. He died for murderers rapists, terrorists, just as much as he died for liars, thieves, and adulterers. I'm going to have our team come up, our worship team. We're going to close with a song. And I'm hoping that what it's going to do is it's going to remind us that something pretty big happened on the moment that Jesus died. And I'm hoping that what it can do for us as we sing these words, that we, that, that we declare that Jesus did the work in us and that there is no way that we could ever take credit for it and that the moment that we allow self-righteousness to come into our hearts and dupe us into thinking that we're better than other people is the moment that the gospel begins to kind of become diluted in our lives. Because the gospel says everyone's invited 
everyone's invited. Do you know what that means? Everyone. Everyone's invited. Everyone is equally in need of saving, and that saving is available to everyone. Jesus is the one who has overcome. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing this last song. And just let it be a prayer and just a declaration of who Christ is to you.